Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Announcing this kind of kingdom. I understand it's been about two or three months since we started, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But even understand, like even now as we're in this particular section of scripture, Jesus is still announcing this brand new world. It's a brand new world. You know, it should spark our imagination that we have been invited to step into this brand new world. And he is articulating the people in his kingdom, but he's also articulating kind of the kind of kingdom that we get to step into. Last week, uh, Matt would have talked about uh, this idea of like murder. And Jesus says, you don't murder? That's good. But let's actually start talking about contempt. When we actually, in our hearts, we, we may not outwardly do anything, but in our hearts, I look at someone and I don't want to like murder them, but I want to erase them, their personality. I actually start attacking their character. And Jesus is saying, fine, you're not using violence or anything, but you are still violent with your words and you're still violent with your imagery and there still needs to be a renovation of your heart. Because even though you're not doing things, your heart is not loving. And if you're going to be part of this brand new world, there actually has to be a transformation of the heart that we look upon our brothers and sisters. And yes, there are going to be times when we do get angry. Notice that Jesus didn't say you're never going to be angry. He says, when you get angry... Do this. When you get angry, reconcile. That's the first illustration, right? He says, like, and this is a hyperbole. He says, okay, you're going to take your gift to the altar. That's 135 kilometers down the road by foot. Three days, right? You get over there, right? You take your goat, take your tithe, because we don't deal in goats. Do you realize you still need to bring your tithe? It's my last Sunday. I can say that. It's scriptural. Oh, that's all part of the law. Wait a minute. You go to Melchizedek. That was before the law. Come on. Are we going to start living this thing right? (laughs) So you take your tithe, and there, when you're about to give it, you say, oh, wait a minute. I haven't got something against someone else. Someone else has something against me. Jesus said, no, you leave it at the altar, and you run 135 kilometers back. Right, And then you make right with your brother or sister and then run 135 kilometers. No bikes, Dave. You've got to run. Run 130. And what's he saying? He's saying, this is what he's saying. Your relationship with God is directly related and integrated with your relationship with other people. If there is a disconnect here, do not think there's a connect here. What does Peter say to husbands? Make sure you're doing well by your wives. Otherwise, God's not going to answer your prayers. There is actually a relationship. And the second illustration is about like if someone's going to, before, like if you owe something, deal with it quickly. You know, otherwise you might find yourself in jail. So this is the kingdom response of when you get angry or with someone, reconcile, but don't just reconcile, reconcile very fast. That's the lesson from last week. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. And now he starts moving into this kind of... Um, Real serious um, way of the way we actually look upon people um, with the idea of adultery and lust. But before we do that, I thought it might be an interesting thing to actually um, give a little bit of time in talking about um, what happens 
if we don't really take the um, teachings of Jesus too seriously. And um, I thought I might give you just for maybe five minutes the hell talk. Has anyone ever given you the hell talk? No? No one's giving you the hell talk? Because in establishing these new people, Jesus is actually quite literally talking about an immediate and future threat. And what he's actually saying is that we actually could potentially literally burn down the house, burn down God's house, if we actually don't take these things to heart. So in this particular instance, he does exactly the same when he talks about murder. But as he's going into this section, Matthew 5 verse 30, um, if you have your Bibles, read along with me, he says this, And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your um, parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Hell. Hell is a really interesting um, conversation because over the last 500 years, we've got so much tradition that has sparked um, imaginations in our mind which have been completely different to the original hearers. Completely different. The word hell, as in, translated in our Bibles, is the word Gehenna. Gehenna. There are two words that um, are used in the New Testament for hell, Hades and Gehenna. Hades is the grave, and Gehenna is a location of which Jesus is talking about right now. So as these um, crazy, unorthodox, unexpected mob of people that we learnt about from Matthew chapter 4 are following Jesus, you know, they're like, need healing, they're having seizures all over the place, they are the down and out, they are the outcasts, they are not the cool dudes, you know, they are not the cool followers of Jesus at all, you know, and, and, and they're coming and, and they're sitting, and in their minds when Jesus says this word Gehenna, they knew exactly where this place was. It was 135 kilometers that way. Gehenna was a place in the valley on the south side of Jerusalem. It was a place, it was a literal location that had a very, very big history of injustice and idolatry. The original name for Gehenna was the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. And it was the place where Israel, at its absolute worst, did deplorable things before God. You can read about this place in Second Chronicles, uh, for instance. It's a place where Israel, they went out to this place, to this valley, to intentionally cheat on God, to be unfaithful to God. It was a place of idolatry. But it wasn't just a place of idolatry, it was a place of injustice because this was a place where Israel, at their very, very worst, they went out and they made deplorable human sacrifices to other gods, right? They did some nasty, crazy, bad stuff. It was a place of idolatry, it was a place of injustice. And those two things always go hand in glove. Make no mistake about it. Wherever there's idolatry, there's going to be injustice. Everywhere. Blessed are the pure of heart. Right? What's purity of heart? That means one single devotion. Every single time where you don't have a single devotion to God and you actually fall into idolatry or I fall into idolatry, make no mistake, injustice is going to follow because people always get hurt. Wherever idolatry is, people always get hurt. There's always going to be blood on the floor. And this is exactly what happens in this valley, the valley of Ben-Hinnon or Gehenna. And it was a place that became synonymous with divine doom and divine judgment. And in the days of Jesus, it was a place um, where um, it, was, it was literally a rubbish dump. 
So there were literally fires in this place 24-7, hence the fires of Gehenna. They never cease. But it was a literal place. It had um, like, like, like ideas of, of God's judgment, but it was, a, it was a literal place. And here's the funny thing about Gehenna, right? The fires in Gehenna, lit by, they were lit by men. Not lit by God. Mm-mm. Lit by men. It was a place outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. This idea, this picture of Gehenna. Hell. Funny, in Revelation, when it talks about hell, guess where it is? Outside the city gates. Same place. This imagery has been um, forecast, even as we look at that. So in our mind, it's really important for us to understand that this place that Jesus is talking about, it's not a place where there is a more peaceful society. It is a place of a brutal society. It is a place where forsaking the ways of God bears the fruits of people turning in and upon themselves. It is the valley of Gehenna. And even though we can understand when we talk about hell, and um, we've got a lot of um, imagery and understanding that is not necessarily biblical, but um, even in light of hell being um, a, a place where there will be future consequence or future judgment of people who don't want to live in the city of God. And understand that people have free will, right? God is not twisting anyone's arm. Jesus is not twisting anyone's arm. Jesus, in fulfilling the law, he is opening up a brand new world and he is inviting anyone to actually be part, to be a citizen of this kingdom. But it means that our hearts are going to be transformed. But there are going to be so many who say, you know what, I actually don't want to live in this city. And the only alternative of not living in shalom is to live in a place where it has the absence of shalom. So hell in its future consequence, right, future judgment is like, that's what it is. It's outside of Shalom. But understand, as Jesus is talking and speaking the Sermon on the Mount, he's not just talking about a future threat. He's talking about an immediate threat because in their minds, Gehenna, that's 135 kilometers that way. I used the wrong arm. I said that way last time. You know what I'm saying? What Jesus is saying is that if we do not live in this kingdom way, we literally live, the consequence of not living in this kingdom way is that there are fires of hell that are actually lit and they actually exist here on earth. And we know that even now. There's fires of murder right now. There's fires of oppression right now. There's fires of injustice right now. There's fires of lust right now. There's fires of abuse right now. Are there not fires of hell right here, right now in this world, right? And what Jesus is saying, in the midst of fires of hell, which are actually lit on earth right now, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ living in the kingdom way, we can walk on this earth and not even smell of smoke. There is that opportunity. That's what he's saying. I often thought maybe you should do a series on hell. I don't know if anyone will come. (laughs) But he's opening up this world to us, you know. 
He's opening up this whole new world, this opportunity for us to step into. And as we come under the reign of Jesus the King, our hearts are transformed. Our hearts are renovated. We begin to live in this new covenantal way, this new family way, this Jeremiah 31 kind of way. And it's something that actually is so beautiful, but it doesn't come that easy. It actually has to be an intention. But it comes down to whose vision of humanity are we truly going to believe? I've made a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus' vision. And that means I want to step into this and allow the Holy Spirit to renovate my heart. So today's lesson is going to be very easy to understand, but it is a lesson where each and every one of us have stumbled and fallen. Every one of us. It's one of these teachings that returns me back to the, to, to the doorway of this kingdom, blessed are, the pure, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are bankrupt before God. And I come back to God and say, you know what, God? I am absolutely bankrupt, especially when I come to this. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, in, in his heart. If right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And once again, Jesus is interpreting the law and the prophets. Um, there's, a, there, there's a passage, I think it's in uh, Matthew 5, verse 18, 18, I think it's verse 18, where he talks about um, if you do this, you'll be great in the kingdom of God. And if you um, don't teach people to do these laws, you'll be least. Um, that word least and great in the original is light and heavy. And what Jesus is actually doing as he, like even in this part um, of the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is engaging in a theological discussion of the time. And a theological discussion of the time had to do with which laws of God were heavy laws and which laws of God were light laws, you know. And what Jesus is doing is that he is going to the laws and the prophets and he's pulling back the curtain to actually expose the heart of God's law. And he is showing us that the heavy laws and the light laws are exactly the same laws. So last week, do not commit murder. That's a pretty heavy one, right? And he juxtaposes a heavy law with a light law from Leviticus 19. Don't be angry with your fellow Israelite. Don't be angry with your brother or sister. He juxtaposes a perceived heavy law with a perceived light law, and he says it's exactly the same law. You like boast and say, you know what, I haven't murdered, and God says, yeah, not so fast. Have you got contempt in your heart? Because you just murdered your brother in your mind and in your heart. And now he comes to this idea of adultery. Heavy, right? Heavy. And he juxtaposes this heavy law, one of the Ten Commandments, with the last of the Ten Commandments, which was considered quite light. The last of the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you remember, but it's actually this, found in Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He's juxtaposing this heavy or perceived heavy law of God, don't commit adultery, with a law which was perceived and considered kind of light, 
don't covet. And the reason why it was considered light is because how are you going to police that? How do I know if there's covetous happening in your heart? I mean, how, how do I know if you're coveting my wife? I know you're not coveting my cruise out there because no one will cover that. That's a terrible car. But, but, but you, you see what I mean? You, you can't. I can't make an assessment on that. I can't judge that. But what Jesus is doing is that he is a masterful surgeon. He's pulling back the, 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 the law of God, the curtain on the law of God, and he's saying, okay, there's this thing of adultery, but let's actually get to your heart. He's making a diagnosis, and he's letting us know there needs to be a renovation of our heart right now. Because the issue that is facing most of us right now, I, I would hope it's not like you've committed adultery last night, I, I, but, but I dare say, you know what, the idea of lust, that's probably in all of our hearts. And Jesus is saying there needs to be some work in this area. There needs to be some work in coveting things that are not yours. One philosopher said the line separating good and evil passes not between countries, not between classes, not between political parties, but right through the middle of every human heart. And lust is an issue of the heart. And Jesus is saying, part of my kingdom, part of this, this new world which has been opened up to you, this is a place where the heart is so transformed and so renewed and so renovated that coveting and actually having lust actually doesn't exist in this world. I don't think any of us are there yet. But praise God, we're on our way. Because lust is a doorway that we have all walked past and last is the doorway through which adultery walks in. And that's the issue. All right? This particular issue of the heart has a long, long history. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. Everyone be familiar with Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took. Everyone say took. She took and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This is the rebellion on earth. We're very familiar with the rebellion on earth, aren't we? That happened, Genesis 3. Genesis 6 verse 1 and 2. This is a more unfamiliar um, passage of Scripture. So very, very important um, when it comes to the story of God. Now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, all right, sons of God, talking about these heavenly um, um, Elohims, the, the, these superhumans, um, not man, but actually sons of God, they saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives, there's that word again, they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. The story of God lets us know that there is a rebellion on earth, but there's also been a rebellion in the heavens. Hence why God will reconcile all things in heaven and on earth because there's a rebellion in both which means life is so much more complex than what you think and what I think, which means we should be able to afford so much more grace to others because life is much more complicated than what we think. There's actually other stuff that's happening. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2 will understand this. Now when evening came, David, King David, arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. In our story, we've got this, this familiar theme that kind of runs through from Genesis. You know, the woman, Eve, saw the fruit, saw it was pleasing to the eye, so she took it. Sons of God saw the daughters were beautiful, so they took. 
David saw this woman bathing. He should not have been up there looking, right? King David. She, he saw that she was beautiful and he, she was also married. But you know what? He still took. He took. Scripture shows us that, that coveting what is not ours is the issue of the heart. This is the issue. This is what lies behind adultery. When we see something and it's desirable and it's beautiful and it looks good, but it's not ours, but we still take it. Taking what is not ours. This is what Jesus is trying to get to the core of, of this law. And in so doing, transform our hearts that we would be a people that we may be able to appreciate and see beauty and see that things are desirable and things are great but we don't take what is not ours. Whether that be a wife, whether that be a car, whether that be, we don't know, well, maybe some of you got some animals, an ox or a, like, you know what I mean? This is how Jesus is pulling back the curtain and actually saying, this is the issue I want to address. These are my people. There's such a renovation. There's such a change of the heart that you see things that are good, but you don't take what's not yours. Does that make sense? Yeah. The fruit was not for Adam and Eve. The daughters of men were not for those heavenly beings. Bathsheba was not for David. But they all took. They all stole. And it all started with a look. Let's break down this teaching. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone who looks. We don't have many words for that word looks, but um, in the original language, it's this, this idea of not just a glance. People are very beautiful and attractive, don't you reckon? No? But ladies, have you ever like sort of like seen a guy and like he's like ripped or something and say, he looked good? You know, like in a, in a creation account, God creates everything and he looks and he says, yeah, that's, that's not just good, that's very good. <laughs> and that word good has to do with aesthetics. God's saying that looks good. They're attractive people, right? I don't think I am, but thank God there are others. I married an attractive woman. <laughs> Jesus isn't talking about you walk down the street and you see someone's attractive. He's not even talking about like you see someone and you're tempted. He's not even talking about temptation. Jesus got tempted. Temptation isn't a sin. Otherwise, Jesus falls into sin. We got tempted. We're not talking about that. Biologically, we kind of gear that if we see someone who's like very, very, very good looking, <laughs> we're attracted. Aren't you? You may even be tempted. So Jesus isn't talking about the first look. He's talking about a specific kind of look. Maybe the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. He's talking about a look that engages our imagination. Right? Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is a look that goes beyond saying, you know what, that girl looked good, right? And then you walk on. 
This is going to the part of our being, our heart or our imagination where we start to play movies. And the thing is, no one else knows. That's the problem like with the heavy and the light law, right? Heavy law or adultery, I can see that. Coveting? I can't see that. You, can't, you guys can't see in my imagination if I'm playing movies of, of myself and someone else. You can't see it. All you see is Dave, man of God, preaching the word of God, right? Don't you? You have no idea if that stuff's in my imagination, in my heart. But that's the look he's talking about. It's a look that dehumanizes people, and that is what he's talking about. The idea of like, like murder. Fine, he didn't murder, but he said racha, racha. We can't even translate that word, but it's almost like, like, like even that word is like, like when, you, when, when you say it, it's like you're spitting. It's almost like I spit in your face. But then when you say you fool, we get the word moron from that, right? So when he's, when he's talking about racha, and then he's going on to moron, he's actually saying you went from actually insulting someone with raka to actually personally attacking and assassinating their character when you called them, like, like the, 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 the equivalent word would be moron, but I don't think that would be the equivalent word. Moron would probably be more of an insult in today's day. I don't know what it was. But, but you're dehumanizing a person because you've attacked their character. You've killed them. So when it comes to adultery, yeah, you're not sleeping with her, but you are dehumanizing that person because you are just merely using that person to fulfill your own pleasure. You're using someone. And no one else can see it. And Jesus says, that's what I want to change. That's what I want to change. Because adultery doesn't start there. It actually begins, you walk through the doorway and there was stuff happening in your imagination. I've had to walk with many people and they've sinned sexually. You know, no one's ever come to me and said, Dave, I just woke up in the morning and I have no idea how it happened. I was in someone else's bed. I had no clothes on. No idea how it happened. No, there's always been a pathway. It starts somewhere. It starts somewhere. It starts in our imagination, and it's dehumanizing. And what Jesus is doing in this particular moment, he is actually speaking into the current culture 2,000 years ago, and he is actually putting the teaching fairly and squarely in the face of men and saying, this is a big deal for you. How do you look upon a woman? Well, I look upon a woman lustfully. Okay, there needs to be a renovation of your heart. There needs to be a transformation of your heart. Because in my kingdom, we can't have women being subjected to this. Right? Christianity actually places the highest value on men and women because we are made in the image of God. People are not playthings. The sexual revolution says that sex is just an appetite. You get hungry, you eat. That's it. And it treats humans as playthings. And Jesus is saying, no, women, are, women and men are made in the image of God. They are not playthings. They are not there so you can use them for your pleasure. That's what he's saying. Instead of um, lifting the values of men, women, and sex, a sexual revolution has cheapened it. 
And it's a vision of humanity that if you actually pursue it, guess what? It does hollow you out till you become nothing. So what are the kingdom expectations? Well, once again, Jesus uses a hyperbole. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Okay, there have been people in our history that have taken that literally like, literally like origin, but they've missed the point. They've missed the point. What Jesus is saying is that if this is an issue, if we look upon humanity, we just want to use them. If we want to take what is not ours, if we want to steal, things need to be cut off from our life. That's the only way a renovation of the heart happens, is that we need to cut things off, we need to cut things out. If we're going to embody right family behavior, there is going to be a cost. And we need to personally take responsibility of that cost, because no one can actually do that for me. And this world that Jesus is talking about is a beautiful world because think about it. He actually says, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, could you imagine a world where our, where our wives, where our mothers, where our daughters, where our granddaughters, where our sisters, they are in this community, they are in this world, and they feel safe and secure because they don't have like, like other people looking at them saying, you know, I want to use you for my own pleasure. Wouldn't that be a great place to live? This is the kind of society that he's talking about. And understand, he's talking first, first century um, Israel. He's talking in this, this kind of Arab kind of country right now. In 2021, Australia still needs a safe place for women. Amen? But I have noticed that there is a lot of aggression that's going towards our young boys. I have noticed aggression with our teenage girls, with our young adult girls. It seems to be that we are fast approaching a world where not only do we need a place, a society, a people, where it's safe for our young daughters, but we also need a place that's going to be safe for our young boys. It's going to take those, uh, our men who are old in the faith, to disciple. It's going to take women who are old in the faith to disciple the young women, just like what Paul says in Titus. This is how discipleship happens, Right? But, but the vision that Jesus is painting is that this is a vision where we are truly human, where we are not dehumanized by our brothers and sisters. Yes, there's going to be attraction. Yes, there's going to be temptation, but it does not go further than that. And the way that it doesn't go further than that is there is a renovation of a heart that is happening within us. And the way that we allow that renovation to happen, Jesus says, is that when you come to that place, when you come to that point, there needs to be enough self-awareness that, you know, wait a minute, I've crossed that line. I need to cut some things off. I may need to cut off, like, I might need to cut off where I go. I might need to cut off some friends. I might need to cut off what I buy. I might need to cut off what I have. You may need to cut off some things that you wear because if my heart is to actually be part of this community where everyone feels safe and secure and, and, and there is a humanization that happens, well, I'm not going to use my sexuality to try and lure someone away. The amount of people I've had to unfollow on Instagram who used to be my youth girls in youth is extraordinary i was like flipping through instagram one day and andrew goes and i was just flipping through, i didn't even see it, he said what is that it's like i'm like she used to be in my youth group and she is presenting herself to use her sexuality because sexuality is power in this sexual revolution always has been by the way Men have muscles, 
women have sexuality. And I was like, oh, wow. Didn't expect that. But they're actually, but it, could, it could well mean you need to cut off some... This is a pretty hard teaching that Jesus is giving us. Okay? It's a teaching that really goes countercultural. And I need to finish up. I could go on forever, but you guys know what I'm like. But the way that this doesn't become legalism is if we are thinking Christians and if we understand what Jesus is talking about. He is opening up a brand new world and inviting us to live in a brand new kingdom. And he is restoring us to our original vocation as true humanity, as image bearers of God who reflect his glory and push out his good, great, beautiful new creation out into this world. He is calling us and he is inviting us to do this. And in so doing, as we enter into his kingdom, as we come under his reign, as he is literally king of our life, there is a renovation, there's a transformation of our heart that happens by his Holy Spirit. And part of this renovation happens when we come to that point and say, wow, I crossed the line, I need to start cutting some things off. And only I can do that for me and only you can do that for you. But the vision the vision, the way that we don't step into legalism is by always going back to this is the vision that Jesus has that is safe, that is secure, that any, any man, woman, child can walk into this place and they are not objectified, they are not used, but they are celebrated and dignity is bestowed upon them and they are humanized. That's the vision that he presents before us. And that's what he's doing as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Did you understand that? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Father, we pray that you would just give us a wisdom how we can be this humanity, how we can be this family. I pray for people's hearts right now. I'm not silly. I know that in a room like this, all of us are fallen and broken and in the process of being renovated. But there are issues, and this issue of lust strikes some hearts. I pray that this morning, as your Holy Spirit speaking, that it will be a word that brings strength and courage to cut things off. I pray it will bring hope. It will bring hope. And as we endeavor to live this life, Father, we pray that we would not light fires of hell here on earth, but we would be a people who walk through this earth where there are so many fires that have been lit and that we would walk in such a way that the smell of that smoke of hell would not even be smelt on us and we would live righteously before you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How about we stand and respond to God's word in worship? I understand it was a one of Jesus' more difficult teachings, but I pray that it's been an encouragement to you as well.